You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, you've heard from two of our new seven deacons this morning, Adam and Chris, all affirmed last week by the congregation. It was a close run thing for one or two, but it was came through all of that. I'm just kidding. It was not at all, not at all close, nothing close at all. So praise the Lord uh, that you have affirmed these new men to serve our body. They're already serving. That's one of the ways that they ended up being new deacons. They were already doing a lot of the deacon work. Uh, and then the ones who are currently serving are grateful to welcome them on. I wanted to mention uh, one thing. Christmas weekend, not this next week, but the following weekend, Christmas Eve service and Boxing Day, uh, the 26th of December, if you will, uh, is will both be uh, only one service. And so you can see how we are now. Uh, we're going to be crowded on both of those services. You seem to be comfortable with that. Maybe the second service will feel a little differently, but just wanted you to know. Also, we're going to be having testimonies after uh, the, the, the sermon or a short sermon on December 26th. Uh, that is a blessing that we have missed for a couple of years because of COVID. Just wanted you to know. Well, today's Advent theme, joy. So sing with me. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Well, imagine that. I didn't have the, we didn't have the words on the screen and you knew it anyway. Of course we know joy to the world. Don't you just love that? I mean, the instant you hear it, uh, if you hear it like in March, you say, wait, is it Christmas already? It puts you in the Christmas spirit, which is a thing, I suppose. It, it makes me think of the joy on the night that Jesus was born. This Christmas carol written by Isaac Watts in 1719 was the most published Christmas carol in the 20th century. But Joy to the World was not written so much to make us reflect on Jesus' birth as it was to cause us to anticipate his second advent or his second coming when he comes to rule the world. In fact, it's only been in the last 200 years or so that Christmas has focused almost uh, solely on the birth of Christ, the baby Jesus in the manger. Um, in the past, Advent has been as much a time of anticipating Christ's second coming as it has remembering his birth. I mean, in the earliest Advent celebrations, the first two weeks of Advent, Advent would anticipate the Lord's second coming when believers would confess their sins and prepare for Jesus to return. 
the second two weeks or the last two weeks of Advent would then focus on the birth of Christ. So since this is the third Sunday when we should be thinking about the birth of Christ naturally, I will be preaching about Jesus' second coming. And since Isaac Watts took his inspiration from Psalm 98 to write Joy to the World, I'll be preaching from Psalm 96 this morning. Uh, That would have been just as (laughs) easily the inspiration for his him, as you will see. In fact, I'm sure he borrowed from Psalm 96 as well as Psalm 98. Psalm 96 outlines itself with three words. Sing, ascribe, and say. As you will see along the way, the psalmist anticipates a day when all the peoples of the earth will worship the Lord and righteousness will reign on the earth When Jesus returns to judge the peoples of the earth. Since it's Advent, let's do something a little different. In just a a moment, we're going to all stand together and read Psalm 96 out loud. We'll we'll read it together uh, out loud. But before we do, I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. Think about the day when Jesus will return. Don't think about pre-trib, post-trib, pre-mill, ah-mill. Don't think about any of that. Just think about the day when the skies break open and every eye shall see him. Think about The great judgment on that last day where the sheep will be separated from the goats. And in your mind's eye, think also about a world where there is no more suffering, no more sorrow, and best of all, no more sin. Jesus reigns over all peoples and the nations are glad. Just think about that day. Now open your eyes and if you would please stand together. We will praise our Lord as we read Psalm 96 from the English Standard Version. So join me. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established 
It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. This psalm is a balm for the soul. Is it not? Have you noticed a distinct absence of joy in the world? I'm sure your answer is yes. Here's a question that you should not anticipate the same affirmation to, though. Have you noticed a distinct absence of joy in the church? Sadly, we would all be forced to affirm this is equally true. Why so sad? Because we choose to be sad. I don't mean this as a rebuke because some of you are experiencing pain, both physical and emotional, that I have not been called to endure. And even without pain, I often choose to be anxious, pessimistic, and even morose. And wouldn't you know, I've had a bad case of it this morning. We choose to be sad. More often than I like to admit, I will... Ask myself, Brad, what is wrong with you? Would it be fair to acknowledge that an absence of joy is often a problem of unbelief? Even, even when life is at its worst, we have this incredible hope in Christ. I recognize that depression can be physiological, not dependent on circumstances. Some of you are depressed, and truly, you can't help it. I get that. Furthermore, there are times when sorrow and grief are not only appropriate, but they are expected and preferred. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, right? Much of the time, though, when we're grumpy or sad or anxious, it's because we do not count it all joy when we are beset by various trials. Many times we look at the world, we look at our finances, we look at our relationships, and we're intensely sad. In such times, it is a good thing to sing joy to the world and anticipate Jesus' return. Psalm 96 begins with encouragement to sing to the Lord a new song. This means a fresh song or a song that is constantly being awed and and excited by new things that God is doing or new truths that we see in Scripture. It's the same old truth, but my goodness, it's, it's fresh a lot of times, isn't it? You're reading the Word and it's like, I've never seen that before, and I should have seen this before. In fact, you're scared to tell anybody because they'll say, really? You're just just figuring that out? But God is gracious to reveal himself to us in fresh ways 
all the time. And so we're called to sing a fresh and new song to the Lord. Since the entire world is invited in Psalm 96 to sing this song of praise to Yahweh, the God of his people, Israel. Since it's commanded to the entire world, we have our first clue that the psalmist anticipates a day when God's Messiah rules over all nations on the earth. Speaking of the psalmist, although Psalm 96 is not officially attributed to King David, these words are in places identical to the song that David sang in 1 Chronicles 16 as the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem by the Levites. Now, that was before God had affirmed his covenant promise to David, assuring him that the Messiah would come from his line. But this psalm clearly anticipates a time when God's chosen one will rule the earth. Seeing verse 2 of God's salvation, a salvation that is evident every day to those who believe. Furthermore, tell in verse 2 is translated into Greek in the Septuagint, the Old Testament translation uh, into Greek, with the word from which we get our word evangelize. Tell the world the gospel. Declare his glory, verse 3, among the nations. It was always God's plan for Israel to bless the nations. And while we see the gospel believed all over the world, praise for Yahweh is not yet universal. It will be, though. Every voice after judgment that is left will be praising Yahweh when Jesus returns. When a believer stops to meditate on God's greatness. She is apt to break out into praise. When the psalmist says that God is to be feared above all gods, he is using a play on words, a Hebrew pun, in fact. He mocks claiming that the other gods are nothings. He is to be feared above all those nothings. He's God, they are not. They're only imitations of the real things. It is Yahweh who made the heavens. His power and beauty never fade. He always rules in splendor and majesty. And while the book of Hebrews informs us that the temple, the place of worship in Jerusalem, the place where God met his people, is only a copy, it was only a copy and a shadow of the real thing in heaven. The true light from heaven shines through Christ who made his dwelling with us. No wonder the psalmist breaks out, In verse 7, ascribe to Yahweh, O families of the peoples, ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. He, He continues, but we need to stop for a moment. Think about Yahweh. You'll remember that Yahweh was the covenant name that God used in dealing with his chosen people. The Jewish nation descended from Abraham and Sarah. 
So why is David calling the people of the world to worship Yahweh? The kids act, don't you love? I, look, I'd rather see, I, I love behold the Lamb of God. I, I love the, 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 the presentation. I'd rather see our group do that than go to the Ryman and say, I'm serious. I'm, I, when these kids acted out, David and Keisha have put this thing together so beautifully. There's a separation between God's people and those who are not. And I want to tell you, in Egypt, Yahweh spoke to his people. And there were some Egyptians who feared, maybe, and, and tried to, to, to be right with God. But God was taking care of his people. And there was a distinct difference between the two. So here, <clears throat> here saying, all the people's Ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. Why is David calling the peoples of the world to worship Yahweh? That is a question that the Jewish leaders should have considered when Jesus stood right before them. But they ignored it. Over the years... Rather than reaching out to invite all nations to worship Yahweh, God's people became increasingly isolated and insular. You'll remember years after Jesus had ascended back to heaven, where the apostle Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, somewhere, Acts 21, somewhere along in there. Uh, he was arrested and somehow we got the attention of all the mob that was screaming out to, to, to do away with this fellow. And, and he got their attention. It helps when a Roman guard is standing right beside you and says, shut up. So Paul started speaking and he gave his testimony and they listened carefully. They listened quietly right up through him saying, I was on the road to Damascus. I persecuted Christians, but I was on the road to Damascus. And Jesus spoke to me. I had stood there when Stephen was martyred. I gave assent to Stephen's martyrdom. And they were listening intently. And this is a great gospel message going on. And they're listening. And then he said, the Lord told me, you will, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And they went. Nuts. Away with this fellow. He's not worthy to live. Man, I was almost as excited as Scott Shambly there. I'm, whew. Away with him. Just think about it. God forbid that he should offer his salvation to Gentiles, to Muslims. To Democrats, Republicans, God forbid that others be brought into the family. Neither insults nor threats of violence will ultimately deter God's people from ascribing to the Lord the glory due his name. So the call to us is to yield our body, heart, and soul, bodies, hearts, and souls, and minds as an offering to the king who is worthy of such gifts. Worship him. Tremble before him in his holiness.
The word tremble in verse 9 is a very strong word. The Hebrew word could be translated writhe. Why writhe before the Lord? Because he is holy and we are not. If it doesn't make sense now, it will one day. It's why I'm continually amazed in Hebrews 4.16 that believers are invited to confidently approach the throne of grace where God sits in glory. Does that amaze you as much as it does me? Just as guilty as anyone of those routine, rote, memorized prayers that just flow off. It's, yes, let's do this so we can eat. We're invited right into his presence. And we do so with joy when we could be writhing in pain and agony, <clears throat> unable to endure his holiness. Verses 10 to 13 point to a time of a perfect government. That will not be when one benevolent nation pretty much rules the earth and keeps everybody else in order. That will be the day when Yahweh rules. Say among the nations, Yahweh reigns. About Yahweh reigning. Let's think about Yahweh for just a moment. I mentioned several times over the years that the New Testament writers make a point of teaching us that Jesus was and is Yahweh. Jesus is God. Maybe nowhere is this seen more clearly in the New Testament than in Jude 5. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Wait a minute. Who led the Israelites out of Egypt? Who went before and behind? It was Yahweh, right? Oh, yeah. That's who Jesus is. Yahweh. And not only did he rescue those who believe, he executed judgment on those who did not believe. Psalm 96, 10 to 13, calls the world to rejoice when Jesus comes to rule over all. How can we rejoice when unbelievers will be judged, even those who are precious to us? How can we be excited about that. That's one of those things where sorrow and joy mingle together for believers. And we're desperate for God to save people that we love. Paul was in Romans 9. Paul, who talked about the joy that is, in, that is ours in the hope of Jesus' return, also agonized over those who didn't believe well, how can we rejoice then? For starters, our perspective will be changed when we will be perfect and we will be perfectly righteous at the time. We'll be made like Jesus. I think it was last week, maybe a week before, 1 John 3, 
two was referenced in regard to something else. We shall behold him, we shall be made like him, for we shall behold him as he is. His glory would destroy us if we were not glorified. And that points to the beauty of the doctrine of glorification. We think about justification, sanctification, and glorification. And while it's true, we have been sanctified or have been justified. We are being justified. We will be same for sanctification and glorification. Pretty much, we're justified when we're saved. We're sanctified as we grow in this life and we'll be glorified when we stand before the Lord. One of the reasons that I think it's past, present, future, and all of these is because God is reminding us that this salvation is so much bigger than we think that it is. And what he says now is as if it has already happened. And it's our call to believe. Now look, when people say to you, God's already healed you. You just need to believe it. I'm in a mood this morning. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm in a mood this morning that I could tell you a few things about people that told me that when my wife was dying with a glioblastoma brain tumor. There's a real past, present, and future for us. Believe that. Jesus is coming back, and you're as good as in heaven already. If you're a child of God, and that's reason no matter what mood you're in, to rejoice. Rejoice. Rather than focus on all of this, though, how it's going to be changed and different, and so we'll be able to handle it. The emphasis in Psalm 96 is that Jesus will set all things to rights. The justice for which we long will be meted out perfectly. We will rejoice for God's justice, but be careful, brothers and sisters, when calling for justice in our day, particularly with the loud voices on both sides of the political spectrum, on both sides of woke, Calling for justice because no one can obey perfectly the law of God. And we are all on the wrong end of holy justice. Only in Jesus are we safe and that ought to motivate us to desire mercy for others. You know when we say things like, there but by the grace of God go I. We really don't believe it, I don't think. Not much anyway. We wouldn't be pouring out all the posts that we do if that were the case. Wouldn't be so critical of other people. When you hear people calling for justice, there's usually an expectation, almost always, an expectation of punishment for those who have offended. Now, God's in control of that department, and I, I can assure you, justice has been and it will be done. I'll explain that. 
In fact, would you not agree that a deep desire for justice in our hearts points to a God who is big enough to set all things right? Jesus came to bring true justice to the world, but the very people who should have anticipated and welcomed Jesus as king turned on him, never were for him in the first place, really, and they conspired with the Romans to have him crucified. But that was all part of the plan. Jesus' crucifixion is the place where God's judgment and justice met. Since we have all sinned, we're all in line for Yahweh's judgment on us, which Jude reminds us is ultimately our destruction. Now, if our destruction meant annihilation or that, that we cease to exist, well, eat, drink, and be merry, right? Or tomorrow we die. If we had wronged another human being, it would be the ultimate justice to pay for our wrong with our lives. <clears throat> but we have sinned against our Creator, the one before whom we would writhe if we were to see Him in His glory without some change in our hearts and our beings. Such sin must be paid for in eternity, separated from God, punished forever. It's the first time I ever thought about this, but hell is in some ways a mercy because it is separation from God. If it's intense enough as it is, it would be even worse if God were present there. <clears throat> Ken Jones from the White Horse Inn Roundtable discussion says, It's wonderful to understand that if God is for us, who can be against us? But think also about this. If God is not for us, it does not matter who else is for us. Thank God that Jesus stepped in the way of God's righteous wrath against sin and sinners. The cross was the hope. It was the purpose of Jesus' first advent. Not only is God the creator of all things and all beings, but he is the redeemer of those who believe. Let's, let's say it this way. Those who believe have been redeemed. When you cry out for justice on behalf of someone who has clearly been the victim of a wrong, the sort of justice that you desire cannot be accomplished. Even a life for a life does not bring back the one who was wronged. Justice, though. Justice has already been Accomplished at the cross. It all happened right there. No wonder Jesus sweat great drops of blood and said, Father, if there's any way. It all happened at the cross. And when Jesus returns, it's going to fall out one way or the other. And it's going to be crystal clear. Sheep and goats. The sheep are the good people. The goats are the bad. No. 
The sheep believe, the goats don't. That's the only justice that will ever be meaningful. Revenge is a hollow victory, is it not? True justice is something we cannot fully fathom. Primarily because we can't imagine how offensive our sin is against a holy God. If you trust Jesus, you're going to see full justice one day in the best possible way. And you will rejoice with all your might, no matter how badly you've been hurt, no matter how deep and unmet the longings of your heart, you will rejoice with full joy when Jesus returns. Such anticipation should fill our hearts with joy right now. The New Testament calls us to look for Jesus' return with joy. And that's why we sing joy to the world. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come forward and prepare to lead us in that great Christmas hymn, that great Christmas carol, Joy to the World. And as we sing this, look for Jesus' return. I'm going to read Psalm 96, 10 to 13. That anticipates beautifully the second advent. And in Yahweh's place, you're going to find Jesus' name. Because that's where it was going all along. He is the one we expect. The one for whom we look. Would you please stand? Now I'll read these verses and then worship team will lead us. Say among the nations... Jesus reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before Jesus. <coughs> for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.